Welcome to South Creek. My name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are so grateful that you are with us this morning. You might notice this morning that Pastor Jenna is not with us. She is down in Indianapolis with a group of students at our state youth convention. Please be praying for the life change that's been happening throughout this weekend and even in this moment. Uh, But that will also mean that there will be no engaged student ministry programming tonight. Have an awesome Sunday with your family, and that will resume the next Sunday. We're incredibly excited that many people have been going on a new faith journey, and God has been working in their hearts. And one of the ways that we can show what's going on in our faith journey is through baptism. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward change. And we are looking forward to having a baptism service sometime uh, in the coming months. If you're interested in being baptized, you can let us know via the connection card, or you can contact me by emailing me at Aaron at SouthCreek.Church. We are asking you to mark your calendar for December 7th. It's a Saturday, and plan on being here at church from 9 to 11 a.m. We have a brand new event called Breakfast with Santa. Breakfast with Santa is going to be an opportunity for kids to come, have breakfast, do some crafts and other activities, and get their opportunity to take a picture with Santa. Tickets are going to be on sale either online or here at church. If you want to buy them with cash or, or check here at church, they're $5. Online, it's $6, and it'll be $7 the day of the event. We encourage you to make plans for that, and if you're interested in volunteering, let us know via the connection card or email us at office at southcreek.church. Make plans for this amazing event as we're going to celebrate the holiday season. You will be able to find our annual report at the Connection Center. The annual report will tell you stories of life change through our ministry over the last year. It'll tell you the proposed budget for 2020 and the nominations for new board members. This is an awesome thing that you're going to want to read and check out. And it will be helpful for November 24th, a Sunday, right after service, we will have our annual business meeting in which you'll vote on the budget and those new board members. On the Sunday before that, November 17th, you'll have the opportunity to join us right after service for our annual town hall meeting. This is your opportunity to ask any question about what's happening here in the life of the church. You can ask questions about the budget. You can ask why my mustache is so light. Whatever it is, come with your questions, and we encourage you to use your voice and be a part of what's going on here at South Creek. Hey, take just a few seconds real quick to fill out the connection card. You should have got it in the bulletin when you walked in this morning. Let us know who you are. Maybe this is your first time here. Uh, Welcome. We're so glad you're with us. Uh, You can let us know if this is your church home. On the back, you'll find ways to let us know if you have prayer requests, if you want to sign up to volunteer for something, or maybe you're taking a step in your faith with something like baptism. When service is over, at the different exits, you'll find baskets to put them in. But if this is your first time or your first time in a long time and you've never turned one of these in, go to the Connection Center, which is the desk in the lobby, uh, and take it there. We have a free gift for you. We'd love to just connect with you. So make sure you take just a quick moment and fill this out. Thank you. When I, when I moved here six years ago, one of the very first people outside of our church family to reach out to me was a guy named Joel Larison. Joel was another local pastor doing student ministry, which is what I was in at the time. And ever since then, he's been an incredible friend, a source of encouragement, and a guy who has deep wisdom. I'm so excited to welcome this morning Pastor Joel Larison to bring the word to us. Would you please welcome him? Hey. Hey, everybody. Uh, like Aaron said, my name is Joel, and I mean, it is a privilege to be here with you. Like he said, it was about six years ago. I called him up. We had some uh, some local Mexican food. And if you're from Kokomo, you know we have like six million restaurants to choose from. Uh, we got together, and we just connected right away. Um, here at this church at South Creek, you guys are so blessed 
Aaron is such an incredible guy. And when we get together, uh, it, it's just an awesome time where we can just, you know, share our hearts. But he talks about how much he loves his church. He loves you guys and cares for you. So it is an honor for me to be able to step in for him this morning. He's up in America's high five up in Michigan, uh, doing a wedding for a good friend. And so it's, it's a, a privilege to be here with you. And I'm excited to dive into, uh, week two of this series that we're in called Let's Say Grace, where we're journeying through Paul's letter called Galatians. So um, before we get going into it, do you mind if I just pray for us, pray for the space that we have this morning that God would move in it? Father, we thank you so much uh, for who you are. We thank you for the, the words, the truth that we got to sing together this morning, that they're more than just words, they're, they're truths, eternal truths about who you are and who we are because of you. And God, uh, today as we open up your word, as we journey through this ancient letter that's been preserved for us in our New Testaments, God, open our eyes, open the eyes of our hearts. Uh, let us not only read the scripture, but let the scripture read us and where we are currently in our life. And God, change us um, this morning. It's just a privilege to be in your presence with your people. Everybody agreed and said, amen. Well, hey, I am the kind of guy that I find humor in a lot of everyday things that I think we overlook. I think some of the funniest things are in that. And honestly, I think that human beings, uh, we are just ridiculously funny creatures. If we can just take a step back, and some of you are already like nudging your spouse saying he's talking about you, Uh, but I'm also talking about you. We're just funny creatures. And some of the natural reactions that we have as human beings, things that we don't even think about but we naturally do, they just crack me up and they reveal a lot about us. For example... Um, if you ever have been with a group of people and they're like, hey, let's get a group picture and someone takes a group picture, a groupie or a selfie with a lot of people, uh, what, what's the first thing you do when you go around and you look at the phone or the camera? Who do you look for? You look for yourself every single time because we are just selfish people. We automatically look for ourselves. Here's another natural thing that we do as humans that I think is hilarious. Uh, whenever my wife or anybody will come home with groceries and like, hey, can you get the groceries out of the car? Um, it, maybe it's just a guy thing, but I, I feel like I have to do it all in one trip. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You have to get like six bags per arm and you have like indentations from the grocery bags on your fingers for like two weeks. But it was worth it because I got all the bags in one trip. I don't know why we do that. Um, this next one, maybe it's just me as well, but um, whenever... It's around my birthday, and I get a card in the mail from Grandma. I open it over something so the check can sort of slide out because Grandma still writes checks for birthdays. And I just don't know if that's just me. Maybe that just reveals a lot about my human nature, but we naturally do that. And this next one, it just freaks me out. But if I'm around somebody, and all of a sudden they start doing this, it has this weird control over me, and I start yawning. Anybody start yawning as soon as I do that? Like, isn't it weird how we do that? I'm uncomfortable with how much somebody else's yawn can control me to yawn. But humans, we just, we do this. It's like these natural reactions that we have. And I, I think some of them are just funny, and apparently I think they're much funnier than you do this morning. And that's okay. I, I can entertain myself. But what we're talking about in this series, as we're working through this book, uh, this letter called Galatians, are not these natural reactions that happen. They're more of what we'll call supernatural reactions that happen. Because Paul is introducing in, into this church in Galatia, and he's trying to explain this introduction into the world of this powerful thing called grace. And grace, as Aaron talked about last week as he kicked off this series, is more than just a prayer you say before a meal. Grace was this unmerited, undeserved favor from God. This thing that we receive that we don't deserve at all be welcomed into the family of God. And it's supernatural, it's powerful, and it changes everything for us. And so last week Aaron talked about how when grace gets into the equation, we don't live a life of slavery trying to prove our worth to God anymore, prove our worth to anyone 
we actually feel this freedom. And that's the, the supernatural interaction that happens is that we go from feeling being a slave to feeling free because of grace. And this morning, I have the honor to take the next chunk of Paul's letter to this church in Galatia. And we're going to talk about the supernatural reaction that happens when grace enters into our lives and it creates generosity in us. And oh yes, you're here at church and we're going to talk about generosity. And Aaron stuck it on the guest speaker to talk about generosity this morning. I know some of you are probably heading for the exits or you're already like, oh, here we go again. A preacher on stage with the Bible talking about generosity. And I, I get some of those uh, interactions. I get why we feel trepidation around the topic of generosity Because in a lot of ways, I mean, it's the fourth quarter of the budget year. And if you've ever been around church, sometimes there's somebody on a stage be like, hey, we need to really be generous this season because we're running a little short. Uh, We could say that. Or if you've ever looked at the news or you've seen any kind of scandal with pastors or churches the last couple of years, sometimes uh, there's a trepidation about talking about generosity because we feel like, oh, this guy's out to rip me off. Oh, look, he's got the private jet. He's got the preacher sneakers. He's looking all like the special celebrity pastor. And they're saying they need more and more money. And we feel like we're going to be taken. And so we feel that kind of pressure when we're in church talking about generosity, talking about money. But what I want to do this morning is we're going to take a bird's eye view of generosity and hopefully we're going to talk about generosity not being just a sense of understanding money, but it's as a bigger picture, a spirit of generosity is what we're going to talk about. And so that's where we want to go. So some ground rules, some things I want us to understand before we dive into the text when we talk about generosity, we'll start listing them up on the screens. The first one is this, that generosity is about more than money. You might hear the word generosity and you immediately feel like the tingle in your wallet or something like that. You're feeling like uncomfortable about the whole thing. But the reality is when we look at generosity through the eyes of Jesus, through the eyes of the scriptures, it's about so much more than just money. Being a generous person is not just tied to your pocketbook or your online bank account at all. Generosity is about how you use your time. Ever think about that? Generosity is what your calendar looks like. Is everything on your calendar for you or for the people that you're legally obligated to care for, your family? Or are there spaces in your calendar that are open for other people, to care for other people, to give of yourself to other people? Generosity is not just about money. It's about how we spend our time. Generosity is also about how we uh, not only do our time, but how we use these God-given gifts and abilities and skills that he's given us. You realize if you're a follower of Jesus and you've been given spiritual gifts, you've been given supernatural abilities to love people, to serve people, and to build God's kingdom on planet Earth. And sometimes we're not generous with those gifts, and we only employ those gifts in the marketplace in our jobs. And I'm glad we use our spiritual gifts in the marketplace where we are employed. But sometimes we're not generous with those gifts, and we only use them in our 9 to 5, and we don't use them to serve the local church here at South Creek or a nonprofit, something that pulls at our heartstrings well. So generosity is about how we use those talents, how we use those gifts. Generosity is how we use our time. But I also said here that generosity is about more than money because generosity is about our money as well. The money, the resources that God has so richly blessed us with. I mean, it says something about ourselves and about what we believe about Jesus, how we steward, how we manage those resources that he gives us. But generosity is a huge, huge topic. It's about more than just money. The next thing I want us to understand about generosity is this, that generosity is good for you. It is really good for you. I put this under the category of things that God wants for you, not something he wants to take from you. 
He wants you to be a generous person because it's good for you. It is physiologically, biologically, and psychologically good for you to be a generous person and to practice rhythmic generosity. Here's a couple of things that I found from scientific studies about what we've discovered when people are generous. Do you know that being generous with your life, it lowers chronic blood pressure, the risk of dementia, reduces anxiety and depression, improves chronic pain management. When you give of yourself rhythmically, some other studies found that it triggers your brain to release feel-good chemicals like endorphins, dopamine, and oxytocin. The same things that are released from your brain when you have an incredible piece of cheesecake. Both of those things, exercise or cheesecake. The thing that's released from your brain, it's released from your brain when you give of yourself. Now, I want to be very clear that this is when you willfully give of yourself. When you're coerced to give or guilted to give, there are some bad things that happen psychologically and biologically. But that's not what we're talking about. When you give of yourself, incredible things happen inside of your body. It's almost like that your father, your creator, he wired you up, hardwired you to say that you are thriving in this life when you give yourself away. Because generosity is good for you. The next thing I want us to understand, and this is really important if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, is that generosity was a big deal to Jesus. So if you're a follower of Jesus, it should be a big deal to you and it should be a marker of your life. See, in the New Testament, in the four biographies of Jesus' life that we call the Gospels at the beginning of the New Testament... There's a lot of red ink if you look at an old Bible. And the red ink says, this is the words that Jesus himself spoke. And in those words, it's kind of crazy when you look at the breakdown of the topics that he talked about. In the red letters that Jesus spoke in the four Gospels, there's a hundred verses about heaven or hell. Eternal destinations, really important stuff. There's a hundred verses about that. There's actually five times as many verses, 500 verses about prayer, what it means to connect with God, to communicate with our Heavenly Father. And that's a lot of verses. But there's over 2,000 verses in red ink, the words that Jesus spoke about generosity, about stewardship, about greed, about money. 2,000 words. That's a lot of breath from the Savior of the world. A lot of words from the Savior of our world. And what he had to say about it was a big deal to him. And I think it was a big deal to Jesus because he knew that our resources, our our, uh, tendency to be selfish or greedy is actually probably the biggest competition for our hearts between him. And Jesus spoke about it a lot. 2,000 verses about stewardship, about greed, about how we use our resources. And the last thing I want us to understand before we go into the text about generosity is this, that I don't think that generosity is just something that God does. I think generosity is who God is. And I want to take us here and get a little nerdy for a moment, so stay with me, but into the Trinity. And I'm not going to try to explain the Trinity because I'd be confused, you'd be confused, and Aaron would never have me back to ever hang out with you guys again. But in the Trinity, we see generosity play out in the behavior of this triune God. We see God the Father, God the Father in the Trinity, he actually gives of his Son to this world and says, here, you can leave the splendor of heaven in my perfect community in heaven and my son will be given to the world. Jesus, the son, gives of his life for you, for me, to heal our brokenness, to heal our sin so that we can be in a relationship with him. And then the Holy Spirit is unleashed into every follower of Jesus to give us comfort, to give us power as we walk this life. And it's there to generously give us his presence in every single day and some theologians believe that in the relationship of the trinity god the father god the 
Son and God the Holy Spirit, that they are generously giving each other praise and giving each other love in their perfect community at all times. Generosity is wired into who our God is. Isn't that a beautiful idea? That our God is giving of himself in every moment to himself and to us every moment of every day. Generosity is such a beautiful idea. And I hope you can see from this that generosity is about so much more than just your money. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to take a dive into the third chapter of this book, this letter that Paul wrote called Galatians. And we're going to pull out some principles of generosity that were laid out in God's plan for all of humanity. And I love the book of Galatians. I was so excited that I was asked to talk about this book, this ancient letter. Uh, for me personally, when I was a teenager and I started to just try to understand the Bible for myself for the first time, the book of Galatians was the very first book that I got to study with a group of people and I got to dive into with a group of people and I fell in love with the book of Galatians because the book of Galatians, it's messy, you guys. There's sarcasm, there's humor, uh, there's deep theology, there's holiness, there's dirt, there's blood, there's the whole thing in it. It's not like God just took somebody's hand and made them write the words, but there's humanity in it, there's divinity in it, there's holiness in it. And it's really beautiful because I think it's Paul's first attempt to try to help the world understand what happens when grace gets into the human equation and you know what what happens when grace gets into the human equation it gets messy and it's beautiful and it's powerful and so i love this letter so much and last week aaron talked about the freedom that's found when we live a generous life because of this interaction that we have with god's grace this unmerited favor and so we're going to dive into the third chapter this morning and what paul's trying to explain throughout this third chapter is this this uh, collision between God's ancient people, the Jewish people, and everybody else, the Gentiles. And we're going to see God's generous uh, grace in this passage. So let's just dive into the text. We're going to start in Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to break down some things from it. So here we go. Um, Paul is saying here, Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham by saying this, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now there's so much happening here, you guys. So let me try to just dive into a couple things that I think are important for us to understand. You know, Paul is, he's trying to double down on this, this argument that he's been making in the letter that, hey, what makes you right before God is not your ethnicity and it's not you following a bunch of rules. It's you trusting that Jesus is the king of the world and that he died for you and rose again for you. And that's what faith is. And so he says something that's explosive in verse seven. That's something that I think we get lost in in our modern context, but this is an explosive sentence. He says, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Those who have faith are children of Abraham. Now, this is explosive, you guys, because children of Abraham were Jewish people, ethnically Jewish people, also people that followed the Old Testament law. That's what made children of Abraham. And Paul's saying, no, not anymore. Grace got into the equation and the world has been opened up. And now those who have faith and trust Jesus, they're the new children of Abraham. I can imagine there were some first century readers that were like, I can't deal with this. And they put it down immediately because it was so radical for them to read. And Paul is saying, no, it's grace has unleashed this 
incredible power in the world and the floodgates are open to where anybody who trusts in Jesus are children of Abraham. And he continues to make his argument. He says, hey, scripture foresaw this. And he actually takes us back to Genesis chapter 12 when God has this interaction with Abraham and God makes a covenant, an unbreakable promise with this guy in the Old Testament name of Abraham. And he says, hey, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless your offspring and you're going to be a blessing to the whole world. And Paul says it here in verse 8. He says, all nations will be blessed through you. And this is the first principle I want us to see about the generosity of our God and the way that we're called to live out a generous spirit. The first principle that I want us to understand is this, that grace leads us to be a generous blessing to others. Put that up on the screens. Grace leads us to be a generous blessing to others. You see, God blessed Abraham so that he could be a blessing to the whole world. It was never supposed to just stop with Abraham when God said, hey, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. No, he never stops there. He says, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. And my friends today at South Creek in Kokomo, Indiana, November 10th, 2019, my friends, you are blessed to be a blessing to other people. That is the reason that you have been blessed financially with your time, with your talents, with your health, so that you can be a blessing to other people. And Paul shows us this, that grace leads us to be generous and to be a blessing to other people. We've, we've all been moved by these stories, right? We see someone who has been blessed with much, and they realize it, and they give it away to other people. Just this last week, I, I watched this documentary on Netflix about Bill Gates. He's the founder of Microsoft, one of the America's first billionaires. And it was kind of amazing as they were walking through and talking about how Bill Gates sees the world. I mean, Bill Gates will ultimately go down in human history, you guys, not as the person who started Microsoft, started the computer revolution. He will ultimately go down in history for his philanthropy and how he gave so much away. To this date, he's given away over $28 billion of his wealth to help the common good in our world. $28 billion. Now, some of you might be saying, yeah, but he's still got a lot. And he does still have a lot. But here's the reality. This is why I'm still blown away by this. Do you know studies show that the more wealth that we accumulate as Americans, the less percentage we give away? So many people say, well, when I I have more, I'll give away more. But it doesn't happen that way. Actually, we give away less as we make more money, which is real broken thing about our American society. But Bill Gates has decided he's going to give away more and live off of less for the good in this world. I have the privilege of serving as the president of the board of Kokomo Urban Outreach here in town, and I have for the last four years. And one of our flagship programs is a program called Man Up that you might have heard of that uh, we, we help connect young boys who don't have father figures, don't have stable home environments, and we help them get ready to be incredible members of our society by training them for work, building character into them. And as they go out and they do work projects in our community, which right now there's lots of leaves, so if you want to call Coke Urban Outreach, it's a nice plug there. But as they go out and they do uh, projects, they receive points, and then they can those points equal out to be a certain amount of dollars. And so it's a way of rewarding them and getting them ready for the workplace. And uh, I've just been blown away by some of the stories of these young men, 12, 13 years old, uh, that use their points in creative, generous ways. Uh, this is last week at a fundraising dinner that we had. We heard a story of a 13-year-old boy who'd been saving his points, not spending on himself at all. And then he asked if he could get a pair of shoes with his points. And they said, what, do you, what kind of shoes are you wanting? You think you're going to get some Jordans or some LeBrons, some cool shoes? It's like, no, I need a pair of shoes for my mom. 
She works like double shifts almost every day. And she needs a new pair of shoes because she comes home. Feet hurt. Beautiful is that, you guys. This is someone who doesn't have a lot. But they're saying, hey, I've been blessed. I've got these points. I want to give them away to my mom because she provides for us. And she needs a new pair of shoes. Blessed to be a blessing. I'm experiencing this in my life right now. Uh, my wife and I, uh, we are in the process of starting a new church, a new faith community here in Howard County in Kokomo. We're going to be launching in early 2020. And uh, we've just been having these vision and info meetings, trying to get people to come out and hear what our dreams are for this church. And we're inviting people to be a part of our launch team to help us get it off the ground. And honestly, as we were starting back in September, we had zero money and just some crazy dreams. And we're just seeing who would be interested in being a part of it. And what was fascinating and just so humbling to me were people from the very first meeting that were people of wealth, people that uh, were there and they have and they don't have kids at home, they're not paying for college anymore. But before I could even give them the offer, they were raising their hands saying, hey, how can we give towards this vision? How can we give towards this mission? And it's just been so humbling for me how people have looked at their blessing and they're saying, hey, I've got more than I need. How can I be a blessing to our community, through a local church, through a nonprofit, through anything like that? So humbling and so powerful. My friends, you were blessed to be a blessing. We all want that to be our legacy, don't we? Paul continues just a few verses later in Galatians 3, and he explains something else that's powerful about generosity. He says this, Next, in uh, verse 14, on the screen, verse 14, he says that he redeemed us, the Jews, Paul was a Jewish guy, in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. It says, he redeemed us, the Jews, in order that the blessing of Abraham, the blessing of faith and relationship with God might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. So the next thing that grace leads us to, this supernatural interaction, and I skipped this slide earlier, sorry Ryan, but grace leads us to a generous humility. A generous humility where we don't just think that we're the big cheese, we're the boss, but it helps us see other people. You see, in this passage, Paul is saying, hey, my fellow Jewish people, just because God opened up a relationship to us first does not mean that we are more important This blessing that came to us through a relationship with God, it's now going to be spread to the Gentiles, which means everybody else, not Jewish people. And so we need to make sure that the reason for our faith is not self-serving. It's not just us. It needs to be looking outwards towards other people. And it gives them this generous humility. I love C.S. Lewis said this once, that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less often. And this is what grace does for us. This is a supernatural interaction that we have with grace. And let me just say, I mean, I've been a pastor now for a little over 10 years. And sometimes it's really easy for us to treat our spiritual journey, our church life, in a consumeristic, all-about-me kind of way. Can I, can I go there for a few minutes, you guys? Can I step on some toes a little bit this morning? It's easy for us to make it all about us. It's easy to have church be like a product that we like to consume, where you're walking in, you're like, oh, I hope my favorite worship leader is singing this morning. I hope they're playing my favorite song. I hope they do Oceans, and so will I, twice. I mean, they better do the songs that I really like. Oh, it better be a sermon series that I really like that connects with me. Oh, if it's about marriage, I'm not married. I'm not coming. And we treat it like that. Or like, who's speaking this morning? It better be Aaron. It better not be the guest preacher because he's terrible. Or it better not be the youth pastor because they always talk way too long because they only get a couple shots a year. So they got to get all their shots in. You know, we, we treat it like that, right? 
Or we treat it like this product that we like to consume. And other times we, it goes into the way that we view God, where we, we treat God like he's our boyfriend or girlfriend, Jesus, where you're like, oh man, church was good because I got the Holy Spirit goosebumps this morning. And if I didn't get those Holy Spirit goosebumps, church wasn't very good. It just didn't feed me this morning. You guys know what I'm talking about? Sometimes we can treat our spiritual journey, our church life, where we are the end goal. We are the end goal. And let me be the bearer of good, bad, whatever you want to call it, freeing news this morning that Christianity is not about you. The mission of God is bigger than you, and you should be honored to be a small part in how he's moving in our world. And as long as you make your spiritual journey all about you, where you are the means to an end, then you will be disenchanted, you will be not satisfied, and you will feel like faith is not all that people make it out to be. As long as you make yourself the end goal. I I counsel people all the time. I've had just the privilege to talk to a lot of people who feel stuck in their faith journey. You ever felt stuck in your faith journey where you feel like you're just hitting a wall or you're not really connecting with God the way you used to? And I've had the privilege to talk to so many people like this. And you know what happens over and over again when I talk to people who say they feel stuck? I ask them one question and 95 out of 100 times they give me the same answer. I'm like, hey, so you feel stuck. When's the last time that you've been praying for somebody to have a door of influence open to their life to where you can share the reason that you have hope? When's the last time you invited somebody to sit with you at church? When's the last time you invited somebody into your life that doesn't know Jesus? I'll ask them that and they'll be like, "Uh, no, not a long time. Not in a really long time. You know what is underneath of that is that their faith journey is not about the mission of God and reaching out. It's about themselves. And when we make ourselves the end, it doesn't quite work, my friends. Paul is saying to his Jewish friends that are reading this, he's like, guys, don't make this all about you. He redeemed us. He brought us into the family of God in order that it would open up for the whole world. Let's keep the whole world in front of us, not just make ourselves the star of the show of our faith journey. You know, we've been on this journey, uh, myself and a team of people of getting ready to launch a new church in the next couple months. And I'll tell you what's been fascinating about it. I personally have never felt more inadequate, more scared, more frightened, more anxious, all of those things because of this tall task that God's put in front of us. But I've also never felt more alive. I've never felt more like I was created for this good work. I've never felt that. But you know why? Because everywhere I go, I'm trying to see people with the eyes of Jesus. I'm seeing that every single person in our community, they matter to God, whether or not God matters to them. They matter to God. And then they matter to me. And I want to see their life on fire. I want to see their eyes light up with the hope of Jesus in a way that maybe they've never experienced before. And I'm telling you, I've never felt more spiritually alive when I've been in this mission of trying to help everybody be enfolded into the arms of the family of God. I think the same could be true for you as well. You move your faith from being a spirituality that's all about you to a humility saying, it's not about me, but I get to be a part of what God's doing, and that's a joy. Everything changes you guys. The last principle I want us to see from Galatians 3, and this might be the most um, fiery, explosive passage in all of the New Testament, in my opinion, but Paul ends Galatians 3, and he says this. He says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. 
He goes on next and he gets really specific. He says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, your children of Abraham, and heirs according to the promise. Now, this is lost on our modern ears and our modern eyes a little bit, but this is some explosive stuff that Paul is writing. Because in the ancient world, the world was walled up between different kinds of people in ways that it's hard for us to understand. You know, we look at our time today and we're pretty walled up, right? We have lots of different barriers between us and different kinds of people, socioeconomically, politically, racially, what kind of car we drive, what teams we root for even, what if we uh, vaccinate or don't vaccinate, and Facebook, Twitter, all these kind of things. There were lots of walls. But in the ancient world, these were groups of people that went to war with each other. These are groups of people that did not see eye to eye on anything. And Paul is saying that this supernatural reaction that has now been released in this world, it leads us to, we'll put it up on the screen, it leads us to this. Grace leads us to a generous hospitality. It gives us different eyes to see people. It should change the way that we interact with people that are different than us. In powerful ways. You see, in the ancient world, one of the written laws of the Jewish people was this idea of table fellowship. And it meant that the people that you shared a meal with, that you shared your table with, oh my goodness, if they were dirty sinners or if they were different than you ethnically, then their dirt, their differences would be spread on you and then you would be unclean as well. You know what I love about Jesus? He was like the original rage against the cultural machine kind of thing because Jesus, he would break down every one of those walls and he would hang out with people that a Jewish rabbi should never hang out with. So much so that people called him a drunkard. People called him a partier. They gave him all these different kind of names because he was hanging out with the wrong kinds of people. My friends, if grace leads us to a generous hospitality, who's at your table? Who's at your table? Are people whispering about you because of who's at your table? I don't know. I don't know if people are whispering about me about who's at my table. Oh, did you see they were hanging out with them? Oh, I wonder what's going on there. They must be backsliding or something, you know. I, I, I'm curious. I wonder if Jesus is calling us to be people that we have people sitting at our tables that makes no sense outside of this thing called grace. Grace leads us to a generous hospitality that says, hey, everybody is welcome at our table. Because Jesus broke down all those walls. He broke down all those barriers, and now there's just bridges between us. It leads us to that. So as we close, I want to, I want to try to get practical with you guys about what generosity can mean in our everyday life. And I want to ask you a couple questions we're going to put up on the screen. And I want us to think about our lives through the lens of these two questions. First question is this, what has God placed in your hands? What has God placed in your hands? You know, a a, a scriptural, a Christian view of what God's placed in our hands is that God's placed everything that's in our hands, in our hands. That it's all God's and we're just stewards, we're just managers of it. So think about your time, your talent, your resources, your stuff. What has God placed in your hands? Second question I want to ask you. What are you doing with those hands? Are your fists clenched? Are you white-knuckling your calendar, your talents, your energy, your relationships, your stuff? Or are your hands open to what God is calling you to do with them? What has God placed in your hands? 
what are you doing with your hands? Are they open to where as God whispers into your life to be generous, you can say yes? Or are your fists clenched? Say, I'm holding on because it's all mine. What are you doing? Let me run you through some examples of this. Do you have an extra bedroom in your home? Do you have an extra bedroom? Or maybe it's that extra bedroom that's turned into the office slash closet slash everything room. What are you doing with it? Do you know someone who's hurting who maybe needs a fresh start? Should your hands be open in that situation? Or are you saying, oh, no, they're weird. That's going to bring some awkward things out. i got to clean out that room, and I don't know what's underneath that bed. I mean, is it bringing you into those kind of places? Do you have an extra vehicle? Do you have an extra vehicle that's just sitting there, the vehicle that you have to go out and start every now and again just to make sure it's still good? Do you know some kid who's struggling, doesn't have a vehicle but needs to get to work? What are you doing with what God's placed in your hands? Are you saying, yeah, you know what? I don't need that. Or are you saying, no, one of these days I might. What are you doing with that? Here's an idea, uh, a way for you to be generous. What God's placed in your hands and your heart. Do you have some kind words you could share with somebody? Like that you're just like, oh, I really want to tell them that they're just killing it. Maybe at work, maybe to your spouse or your kids at home, but you're like, I don't want to really go there and make things awkward so you don't say anything to them. You just hold it in. Be generous with your kind words. When you see somebody doing a great job, say, hey, I appreciate this so much. Be generous with those words. Don't hold on to them because you think it might change the relationship. Or maybe if you're here and you're single, looking to somebody and being like, hey, you look really great today, maybe it will change the relationship. Who knows what generosity will begin, right? But whatever it is, be generous. Be liberal with your kind words. Just spread them like crazy instead of just holding them in. That's a way that you can live generously. Here's another way you can be generous. What has God placed in your hands? Your income, your paycheck. What are you doing with the 100% of the pie that God has so richly blessed you with? Are you living for yourself and your family on 120% of it? (laughs) Are you making sure that 99% of it's just going to you and anything left over you can give to God's good work in the world? What are you doing with it? Are you holding on to it saying, I deserve this, I earn this? Or are you saying, God, what do you want me to do with this? Because this blessing is not about me. I've been blessed to be a blessing. Here's another thing. Sometimes we think about church in this way, or we should think about church in this way. What has God placed in your life? This incredible church family, this incredible ministry here at South Creek Church. Be like, hey, you know, I like it, and I like the people that I sit next to, and I like the extra seat next to me. I like to be able to put my leg out and just relax a little bit. And so I'm going to hold on clenched fists to my church. I'm not going to tell people about it because it's like that band that I'm the only one that knows about. I like it. It's like an indie thing. But what happens if you have friends you work with, people that you work out next to, people you sit on bleachers next to, and you know they're hurting, you know things aren't going well, and you're open-handed with your church saying, hey, come check out what God's doing here. Come sit with me at this thing. I think it'll be helpful for you. And we can go out to lunch afterwards. I'll even pay, you know, whatever it might be. What are you doing with this incredible ministry of your church? Because Aaron would be the first one to tell you that South Creek is not just for you. It's the benefit of our whole community and this whole world that needs to know the love of Jesus. What has God placed in your hands? Are you clenched fists holding onto it for yourself? Or are you opening up for others? What about your time? A few hours a month that you have freedom. Now, we all have the same amount of time, right? Same amount of 24 hours in a day, seven days a week. But what are you doing with, say, a couple hours out of those, out of a month? Where you could give back, you could volunteer at the church, at a nonprofit that your heart is tied to in our community. Could you give away some of those blocks on your calendar with open hands? Say, God, if I give you three hours a week, a month, what would you want me to do with them for your good? 
Or are you saying, I need a lot of me time. I need some Netflix time. I need the time just for myself. All those hours. You clench fists. Are you open-handed? You can run it through whatever grid you want to. But my friends, I think, and I'm betting the farm on this, that at the end of your life, you want to be known more for what you gave away than what you kept. And I'm betting the farm on the idea that, my friends, you were designed, created to thrive in this world when we live generously with open hands. And life can begin to take off for you when you realize that everything that you have in your hands It was placed there by your Heavenly Father. Everything you have is placed there by your Heavenly Father. So what are you doing with it? Because we have been called to bless others from the blessing that he's given us. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much. Just begin by saying thank you for blessing us, for inviting us into your family from this crazy thing called grace. When we trust you and we trust that grace in our life, it changes everything. It breaks down every kind of barrier. It makes us not the means to our own end, but it, it puts us in place of, in your story to spread your blessing to this world. We thank you for that. God, help us. Help us realize the things that you've placed in our hands and help us live open-handed, not white-knuckled and fists clenched. Because this is where life truly takes off is when we live that way. God, in these next moments, speak to us, challenge us, give us wisdom on what our next step is inside of this generosity journey, and then give us courage to act on it. In your name we pray. Amen.